Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll read the first three verses. And I'd ask that you stand with us for the reading of the Scripture. And we find these words, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds." Let's pray together, all right? Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we do pray that as we study the scriptures together, that God, you'd help us to avoid the tendency that sometimes we have to look at something that's familiar and assume that we already know that. I pray that you'd help us to have open hearts and minds, and I pray for all of us tonight. I pray for those of us who are adults, those of us who've been in the faith for a long time, and then for those adults who have been saved not so long a time, and then for young people in this room, those who are saved, that God, you might speak to their hearts, and for those who are yet to be saved, that God, you might work in their hearts and deal with them as well. And our Father, I pray that you'd help me tonight just to simply uh, convey, communicate, Lord, what I believe you'd have me to share tonight. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, in the first verse, the writer of Hebrews, and many people I believe it was the Apostle Paul. I personally believe it was the Apostle Paul, but it doesn't tell us who the writer was. We do know this, it was given to us by inspiration of God, so whether it came from Paul or not, we know it's God's Word. And he says in verse 1, Wherefore, seeing you are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So the the clear implication, the clear instruction here is that, that we have a race. Let us run the race that's set before us. Now, when you read the scriptures, we want to ask ourselves some questions. Who was this written to? Who was this written by? Who was this written about? And if this, was a, if this admonition in chapter 12 in the first three verses was just for pastors or just for missionaries or just for deacons or just for people that feel like they're called into the gospel ministry, then most of us could just check out and say, well, that's not for me, that's for them. But clearly this is not written just to pastors or missionaries. This epistle that Paul or whoever wrote it wrote to the Hebrew believers, it was written to believers. It was written to Christians. It was written to disciples. It was written to the followers of Christ. If you're saved, it was written to you. This is God's word to you. And what does it say? It says that we have a race to run. You know, if you look in verse 1, just notice these pronouns. He says, wherefore seeing we, the writer includes himself in that, are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us, those of us, 
Thus of us who are saved, lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. We have things that cause us to stumble. We get entangled with things. But let us lay those things aside and let us, all of us, run with patience the race that is set before us. I think one of the important, simple, and life-changing approaches to the Word of God is to personalize what the Bible says. It's not just for everybody else. If you're saved, it's for you. It might as well have your name and social security number and address on it. It's for you. And to act like it's not for you is to disregard what God is saying in His Word. No wonder many people don't get anything out of the Bible. They don't take it as being for them. But this is for you. And it's for me and it's for us. We have a race. We have a race to run. And it's before us. Look what it says in verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Set before us means our race is placed before us. Every one of us have a race that God wants us to run. Now... I think we could all agree about this, with this if we'd think it through, that there are similarities in all of our races. We all, there are certain things God has. For instance, we're here tonight. Most of us are here tonight because we believe that this is a part of what God has for us. Now, some of you may be here tonight for some other reason. Maybe you had, you know, your parents just brought you and you didn't get a, a say in it. But, you know, most of us are here because this is our race. So some of us have similarities. This is a part of God's will for our life. But the race is not the same for all of us. God's race for me is not the same as God's race for you. God's race for these missionaries that we we're talking about earlier, the missionaries that we support, the missionaries that we contacted uh, yesterday through young people, their race is not the same as your race, but you have a race. Just because your race is not their race doesn't mean you don't have a race. Every one of us, every one of these little young people, they have a race that God wants them to run. And even though they may be similar in ways, none of them are the same. And, and the writer says, let us run. All of us need to run. Now, what is our race? What is our race? If the scripture says, let us run our race, what is that race? What is it? I was with someone just a day or two ago that's training for a triathlon. Right? I'm not going to run that race. <laughs> it's their race. What is, but what is this race? I'm going to tell you what I believe. I want to tell you what I believe the race is. It's God's will for your life. God's will. For, that's your race. Those little children that call you mom or dad, they have a race to run. And that race is called God's will for their life. I... I think we'd be safe to say that for, for every one of us, I know it'd be true of me. I think it'd be true of all of us. If I could somehow see the race that God has for me and then look at the race that I might have chosen to run, they're usually going to be a lot different. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I can't, imagine, I can't imagine coming to the end of my life and the basic way I lived my life was the way I wanted to. That's the way most people live their lives, by the way. Most people that aren't, that's how they live their lives. 
They just do what they think is best, what they want to do, what feels good. They avoid the things they don't want to mess with. That's how they live their life. But that's not God's race for them. That's their race. We're not talking about running our race like what we want to do. We're talking about running the race that God has for us. And so, so when a person says, well, I'm running a race, anybody can be running a race, but we want to run the race that God has set before us. The race that God has planned for us. Now, I'm of the persuasion that our race began when we got saved. I don't believe that I was, for 21 years, I was living a life, but it was not according to God's will. I don't think that's the race God had planned for me. I think your race started, as far as God's concerned, is when you were born again. When you were transformed, your life was changed. When He came into your life, the race started. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you may be living a decent life. You may be living a great life in your eyes. But you're not running the race because God's race includes Him being a part of your life. And leading your life and directing your life. And by the way... This is the only life we would want to live. Why would we want to live any other life than the life that God has planned for us? The moment a person gets saved, they're born again. They become new creatures. They become a spiritually new creature the moment they're saved. As a child, a teenager, as an adult. And at that moment, they begin this race. By the way, one of the most important parts of a race is the beginning, right? Right? And I, I thank God that He gives us an opportunity to have a good start. We don't always have a good start. We may start off slow, but I, I, we, the, we need to be in this race. Another important part of the race is the finish. Most people, when they come to the conclusion of a race, I'm talking about a physical race, they're running a race, whether it's a sprint or where it's a, a marathon, when they come to the end of that race, they're focused. They're focused. And a lot of us could say when we started our race, we were focused, laser focused on what God has for us. But really, the most important part of that race is the middle part of that race. Now, Paul, he, he was focused in the scripture on how he wanted to finish his race. Now, we're going to come back here to Hebrews, but I want you to go with, to a couple of places. Um, go to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, first of all. Go to 2 Timothy, just to the left a little bit. 2 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 4. This is Paul's final epistle. You know, these are, this is his final message in, in uh, writ. He's writing this epistle to Timothy. And uh, you're familiar with chapter 4. It's just a wonderful, inspiring read. He's charging Timothy how he wants him to live his life. But he says in verse uh, 6, I'm now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I feel like I'm on the threshold of my departure from this life. And then he says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. Notice the pronoun my. I finished my course. And by the way, that should be the desire of every one of us. I want to finish the course the way God wants me to finish the course. And I go with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. Go further to the left, of course, after the Gospel of John, the book of Acts. 
Acts chapter 20. Paul is writing or speaking here uh, to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And Luke is recording these words for us. Acts chapter 20. They are basically um, discussing what lies ahead for Paul. He says, for instance, in verse 22, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit. We're in Acts 20, 22. Unto Jerusalem, the, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. I don't know what awaits me there. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city. Everywhere we go, there are people there who are saying that bonds and afflictions abide me or will be there for me. Now look at verse 24. But none of these things move me. The, the, the thought of a prison or being bound and afflicted. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He said, I want to finish right. I want to finish my course with joy. So we, we have a race to run. There's a first part of that race. There's a last part of that race. And I'm back in Hebrews chapter 12. There's, there's a race for us to run. And in our passage, it says in verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, it's obvious from the language there that the thought continues from chapter 11. Wherefore, since we've been talking about this subject through what we know as chapter 11, wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Compassed about means to be surrendered or surrounded, excuse me, by these, these witnesses. And Hebrews 11 is all about these witnesses, and we're not going to read Hebrews 11. But he's talking about people that have gone before, people like Noah, people like Moses, people like Samuel, people like Abraham, people like Gideon and David. These are all these people in Hebrews chapter 11. These are, these are people who live by faith. These are people who gave us a good example. And the writer here says in verse 1, seeing we are compassed about, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. That's an interesting word, witnesses. Uh, the, the Greek word is martus, M-A-R-T-U-S, martus. Is, and it's sometimes translated as witness, sometimes it's translated as martyr. See, seeing we're surrounded by all these great cloud of witnesses, these martyrs. We're in Hebrews 12, but look up in Hebrews 11, just in verse 35. Let's read a few verses just to refresh our memory about these people that that Paul, uh, Paul or the writer here is talking about. Verse 35, women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. It's talking about these people that preceded us. Seeing that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, these martyrs. Now, sometimes we think about people from the past like they don't really matter that much, 
But the writer of Hebrews thought they mattered. He was talking about them. The faithfulness of these other believers that preceded the the sacrifice of these people. My wife and I visited some of those torture chambers where Christians were put on a rack and pulled apart piece by piece or where they're where they were cut up and chopped up in pieces or stood there in Smithfield in London where they burned them, burned them. Just, can you imagine walking through town on a typical day and smell the stench of human flesh while people are burning? You know why they're burning? They're burning because, because they're paying a great price because of their faith. Those are our examples. We have those, young people, we have those people as our examples. We do a great disservice to our children if they think the only examples they have to live pattern their life after are their peers or friends around them. No, we ought to be looking, we look forward, we ought to be looking back at these people, the sacrifices these people are making. There's great inspiration to be found in these people's lives. And that's why the writer here says, seeing, seeing that we, we are compassed around. We, we have these people who've paid such a price. Let us run our race. They ran their race. Thank God for that. And um, I bought a biography the other day. I hadn't even begun it yet. It was, written, it was written about Isaac McCoy, who was born in the late 1700s. And he began to work among Indians. You know, think about it. We, we declared our independence in 1776, so he was born right about that time. And he got saved and began to work among the Indian tribes in Kentucky and Tennessee and Illinois and Indiana. Work, worked his way across through here in the early 1800s here in Missouri. And then worked among Indians in Kansas uh, before, before Kansas was ever a state. And, I, and here's, what, here's my old point. What brought these people here? You know, there was, no, there was nobody to say you ought to go there. There was no, nobody, no support structure to send them here. You know what they brought them here? They brought here because they cared about people and they wanted people to hear the gospel. I, I heard the other day that when he was living out there in Kansas, he made seven trips, or nine trips, nine trips to Washington, D.C. by horseback from Kansas. Working, working to try to find help for these Indian people. They were struggling with diseases and all kinds of things, trying to help them adapt to the world that's changing around them. We're talking about in the 1800s. What would cause a person to do that? What would cause a person to ride on horseback from Topeka, Kansas to Washington, D.C. nine times? What would cause a man to go out there and to live his life in hardship? You know, we, this, I'm not saying this to be funny, but a lot of times we think about going to far country, foreign country, we don't know where the nearest Walmart is. You know, what's it going to be like without a Taco Bell? Better. <laughs> but there's something different about the makeup of these people. That's all I'm saying. There's something different about the way these people were. They, were, they endured hardship. They pressed over uncharted territory. 
to take the gospel, not so they could be popular, not so they could write a book about them, not because they could have some, so their name on a plaque. They came for one thing, and that is because they loved people and cared about people. Went to the first Baptist church that was started in the state of Iowa the other day with this group. It was really, I was really encouraged by it. And talked about the challenge of bringing the gospel into Iowa because people didn't really know once they got across the Mississippi if they'd ever be able to get back. Something to think about. If you're going to move your family across the Mississippi, think about that. And the writer here is saying, we have a race to run, and, and one of the things we ought to think about when we're running our race is those who've already run their race. This, this kind of ought to figure into the thinking of, of parents as we think about our children, what we want our children to know. There's nothing wrong with our children knowing about contemporary things as far as sports and who's the best at this, who's the best at that. But I'll tell you, it might be good for them to know some of this stuff as well. It motivates us, our spiritual ancestors, our spiritual mentors, people that... I mean, you know, I've got people, you know, when we, now when we sing about these things and talk about these things, I think about people that I know, just Brother Bynum himself, that we, we were at his funeral service this year, 92 years old, and what a man of God, what a trooper, what a man whose life spanned so much of the history of this country. But there are other people like that, and they do matter. Get it out of your mind that it, this is my life. All I live for is me. As long as I have enough to get a hamburger, I'm okay. That's not the way God wants us to think. We have a race to run. And that race is God's will for our life. And other people had a race. And thank God they ran their race. But God wants us to run. So we have them as an example. But we have another example in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the starter and the ender, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross. The cross was not a picnic. The cross was not fun. The cross was agony and pain and torture and unbelievable hardship. And yet he endured it. He finished his race on this earth. Aren't you glad Jesus finished his race on this earth? We have these examples before us. And embedded in this is one of the things that's really necessary for us to finish our race. In verse 1 it says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us Lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. That's the word that I want to think about for a little bit. Let us run with patience. What does patience mean? And sometimes in the Bible, patience does mean what we think of as patience. Just being patient while you're waiting in the fast food line. You've been there for two minutes already and you don't have any food. Be patient. That's what that word means sometimes. But most of the time it means endurance. Bearing up under. Hupomuno is the word. Hupomino means to, to bear up under difficult situations. And it's, look what it says. 
Let us run with patience, with continuance, with endurance. Let us, let us find within us the, the strength of character to finish this race. This race is not a sprint. You understand that. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Jesus, Jesus finished His race. The Apostle Paul finished His race. These people in Hebrews 11 finished their races, but it was not easy. It wasn't easy for Paul. It wasn't easy for Jesus. It wasn't easy for these people in Hebrews 11. It wasn't easy for any of them. Why would we think that it ought to be easy for us? Have you ever started something that you quit prematurely? Most of us have. Maybe a diet or fitness program. Probably nobody here has ever done that, but maybe, maybe you know somebody. You know somebody that started a program and they, maybe, maybe some self-improvement program. I'm going to read some, I'm going to be reading a book. I'm going to take a class. I'm going to, I'm going to better my life. Maybe some stewardship thing. I'm going to start saving or I'm going to be a better manager. I'm going to start giving to the work of missions or whatever. Endurance means you fight through. You fight through the times when it's difficult. You know, having an idea to change your lifestyle is one thing, but following through on it is another thing. That's what endurance is about. Look what he says in verse 3. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, talking about Jesus, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. The temptation to quit. The temptation just to stop, to let up, you know. Um, I'm not a runner. But I do know this about running. I've run distance running before. And, and uh, the weariness of runners is real. And there's a time, often, if you're running several miles... There, there's a time, it always was for me anyway, when my body just tells me you can't go anymore. You can't do this. You know, have you ever, how many of you have ever experienced that in your life? A lot of us have. You just can't do this. And, 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 and at that moment in time, you, you have some choices to make. <laughs> am I going to just believe what my mind's telling me? Am I believe what my body's telling me? Or am I going to push through this? Am I going to work through this? And in this race, if we don't, we become weary and wearied and faint in our minds. That's the language of verse 3. You become wearied and faint in your minds. It doesn't cost you anything to become a child of God. Jesus paid it all. And everybody that ever got saved got saved the same way. By putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His mercy and His gracious gift to us. We receive the gift of eternal life. It doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything to get saved. But here's a question that we ought to think about. Why is it so many people who claim that they're saved aren't really taking serious the life they're supposed to be living? You know why? Because it costs something to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It cost people in the Old Testament to follow the truth. It cost people in the New Testament to follow the Word. It costs something to follow Jesus Christ. 
And we can become weary and faint in our mind. We think, I can't do this. Well, you, you, that you may not think you can do it, but you can do it because God says you can. Faithful is He that calls you also will do it. Everything God has called us to be and do, God has given us the wherewithal to do it. Right? Don't believe those lies in your head. Because God will make a way. But we get wearied and faint in our minds. We see somebody else fall. Somebody else is living this way. Somebody else seems to have gone, the wrong, gone haywire, but they're doing okay. You, all these battles go on in your mind. But I want to tell you, all of those distractions, none of those things are God's will for our life. God's will for our life is that we love Him and serve Him and faithfully do what He wants us to do. That's our race. There are things that hinder our running. They can be encumbering. Look what it's, look at the word that's found in verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. The sin that beset, it's a besetting sin. And beset means it entangles us. Here, imagine a runner that's running this race, but they're being entangled and trapped and snared. And they've got these excess weights upon them. They cause us to stumble. They trip us up. To run our, listen, to run our race. I don't know all that your race is, and I don't even know what all that my race is, but I know that a part of my race is what I'm living right now, and, and we have to be willing to lay aside some things if we're going to run the race. That's what the writer's talking about. And I don't know what all those things, could be sin, could be just a desire to be more compatible with the world. It could be it could be these fleshly desires and lusts that we have. It could be having the wrong kind of friends and, and hanging around the wrong kind of people. And you say, well, shouldn't we reach people? Yes, we ought to reach people, but we don't need people that are against God or not for God to help us. We need to help them. The wrong associations, that drags us down. The wrong kind of entertainment, that drags us down. It hinders our conscience. We're not as sharp spiritually. The love of money drags people down. I've got to have this. I can't live without this. I'll tell you, we ought to have this attitude. I can't live unless I'm in the race that God wants me to run. We get our eyes on other people. We get our eyes on things that get our minds and our heart off the race. I've seen it a lot. I've seen a lot of it, way too much. Of people who started out running well and then they stop. You know, the devil has a way of twisting things up. And sometimes we think the reason we can't run our race is because of all the competition, all the problems, the worldliness, the pressure, all that kind of stuff. But you know, the greatest competition we have to win our race is more about us than others. We need that endurance. We need that character. We need that quality that says, many people have done it before me. I know people, not just people in the Bible, not just people in biographies I've read, but people in our family, people, loved ones, friends. We've watched them. They've gone through difficult times. They've gone through hardship. And yet, by the grace of God, they just kept running. We have to learn to control ourselves, As the lady's saying tonight, and I appreciate it so much, we have to learn to deny ourselves. The biggest enemy I have 
is the person that stares me in the face every day when I look in the mirror. It's me. I don't have to look anywhere else to find an inclination to do less than what God wants. I find it in me. That's, and if I, can con- if I can conquer that enemy, I think I can conquer the enemies that want to derail us and distract us. Jesus kept his eyes on the prize. He was motivated by this. For the joy, look in verse 2, for the joy that was set before him. He wasn't talking about the joy of just the cross. I believe he's talking about the joy beyond that. The joy that was set, the joy of bringing many sons to glory. The joy of seeing people like you saved by the grace of God. The joy of seeing people like us go to heaven and not go to hell. When they whipped his back, when they pulled the hair from his face, when they crushed that crown of thorns on his brow, when they blasphemed him, when they beat him with sticks, you know what kept him going? It wasn't the fact that he was somehow immune to pain, it's that he kept his focus on what he was going through and why and what the result would be. And when they drove those nails in his hands, I'm telling you, when they took, when, when all the sins of the whole world were placed upon his body, don't just think for a moment about what that would be like for the Holy Son of God. You know why he did that? He didn't do that because he was not like us and he didn't feel pain like we feel pain. He didn't, he didn't get, be, get hurt like we... No, it's not because of that. It's because he, had, he kept in his mind when this is over with a lot of people that will be sitting in Mount Zion Baptist Church on this Sunday night will be saved by the grace of God. Go with me if you would please the book of Galatians. Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Paul is writing this epistle to people that he loved and cared for. Now, don't you notice what he said in verse 7? You did run well. You ever think about what it must have been like to read these epistles, be there reading them? I think about that a lot. Just, just I'm thinking, what would, have, what would I think if someone stood up there and began to read this letter to me? And he says, you did run well. Did, past tense. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Look in verse 8. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Any persuasion that tries to distract us, get us away from from doing what God wants to do, that did not come from God. Isn't that that a great statement? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Verse 9. A little leaven... Leaveneth the whole lump. So he's re- rewriting this. And he said, why? You were doing so well. You were running so well. I mean, how many people does that describe? You did run so well. And then he says, who hindered you? What caused you to get off track? What distracted you? Didn't come from God. And by the way, verse 9 is a very interesting thing. A little leaven left the whole lump. You know, it doesn't take much to get a person off track. Doesn't take much. 
You know, the good thing about this thing of running our race is that others have run before us. Others are running with us. But here's another good thing. If a person has run, and if, they, if Galatians 5, 7 describes them, you did run well, they can get back in the race. When I was in junior high school, I ran the 110-yard high hurdles. And um, I decided pretty soon that was not my sport, but I did it for a season or two. As I went through school, I kept dropping sports. You know, I played football and baseball and basketball and ran track. And then I dropped the track like a hot potato. And then I dropped baseball and then I dropped basketball. And finally I figured, you don't have to be smart. You just butt heads with people. I could do that. But in the 100 yard or the 100 meters, it is in collegiate Olympic sports, in the 100-yard dash or the 100-meter dash, if you get out of your line, you're disqualified. It doesn't matter how fast you run. You get out of that line, you go to the showers. You're disqualified from running the race. But a marathon, you can sit down. You can walk a while. Stop and drink a cup of coffee. And still... Continue and finish the race. We're in a marathon. And if you're sitting here tonight thinking, you know, I used to run, but I'm not running anymore. I'm not, I'm not minimizing how wrong it is to get off track, but I'm just saying this, you can get back in the race. Seemed like I remember Paul writing a man by the name of John Mark who bailed out on the first missionary journey and said, I'm not, I'm not doing this stuff. I'm not cut out for this stuff. It's not me. I'm going home. Paul wrote to, him and, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, bring, John, bring Mark with you. He's profitable unto me for the ministry. Did you say, did Mark get back in the, gospel, in, the, in the race? Yeah, he wrote the gospel of Mark. Right? The majority... I believe the majority of distractions and the majority of detours in running our race, I said this sort of happens in the middle of the race. Most people are focused when they start. Most people. We have a tendency to be focused near the end. But in the middle, that's the hard part. You know, in the Olympics, when you start the marathon, you're in the big stadium with all these crowds around you, right? You start this marathon... And then, but, but there's a time out there where nobody cares and sees you or knows what you're doing. You can walk if you want to. That's what we used to do in P.E. We had to, we had to run in P.E., but as soon as we got around the corner, we'd just walk. Not me, but everybody else did. I mean, that's when your body can start convincing you that this is not going to work. You just can't do this. It's too hard. You get weary in your mind. That's what the writer of Hebrews talks about. And by the way, you go through these stages. People go through these stages in running, but people go through these stages in life. Some people more than other people. The Christian life is a challenge, young people. I'm not saying it's not a great life. It's the greatest life. 
It's absolutely the greatest life. There is no life on this planet to be compared with the good life of living for Jesus Christ. Now, sin's pleasurable for a season, sure. But it it leaves you with a lot of pain and regrets. But I've never had a regret making one decision for good or for God or to do the right thing. But it requires stamina. It requires discipline. It requires focus. It requires determination. It requires the grace of God. But we are what we are by the grace of God. Amen? You ought to think about how you want to run your life. Think about this this chart. It's just a picture and it's just some words. But you know what? Nobody can chart your course but you. If you want to, just don't take it serious. Don't plan. Don't think ahead. Don't make decisions. But I'm telling you, our encourage, my encouragement is, and my encouragement for this church is to chart our course. Where, where do we want the future to find us? Right? Where, where, do, we, where do we want to end up? I, I, you know, I was thinking this week, for, I was thinking about people that, that are in our church that have just been so steady and steadfast and focused for so long. Aren't people like that a blessing? Thank God for them. I think about people that have gone on. James and Faye Whiteside. What great examples to us. What great examples. But other people that are still plugging away. Young person, please hear me. Don't look at people like that and say, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything to me. It should mean something to you. The only reason this church is here is because people before us who were faithful. And, and, and the, the thing we know about them, though, is they never had a problem. They never had a bad day. There was never anything they disagreed with. They just, they just always woke up on the right side of the bed every day. Do you believe that? No, they had the same kind of problems all of us have. But somehow, by the grace of God, they finished their race. Amen? And I think I appreciate them more and more as the years go by. And I see people right here tonight that are those people. You either are those people now. There are very few people around now that were even here when we came here. Betty May remembers that day when we came with great regret. <laughs> but many of us, one of these days, if God... If God doesn't come and get us, we're gonna, we'll just be a memory ourselves, right? Does, should this matter to us? Should, should this matter to parents who are raising their children in this church? Should this matter? I think it should matter. We all have a race to run. And it's not all the same. And it takes endurance. It means we're in it for the long haul. We're in it for the long haul. And if you get off track, you can get back in the race. Amen? And run with us. Amen? And it starts when you get saved. Some of people here, you're not saved. You, it starts when you get saved. If you're not saved, you ought to come to Christ tonight. Amen?